All right. Let's get back into this Q&A. Uh, hey, uh, someone said they liked your shirt too. Will said he likes your shirt too. He says uh, we both dress like we're from Florida. Um, yeah. <laughs> These shirts are pretty tacky. <laughs> you dress you dress that way because you live in Hawaii. I dress that way because I wish I lived in Hawaii or Florida for that matter. Maybe not. There Maybe South Carolina over Florida. But yeah. Calvin's talking for the YouTube. Now that we're just YouTube here, and I know this is going in the audio feed, but my book is always waving, guys, because there's a ceiling fan right above me here and it gets hot with the light on and everything. So He's that's why the book is always page. waving. I got to rearrange. Page is very inspirational to him. The words it's on the, that, he's memorized it, right? It, like, what are the that words? Page, that's the signature page. That's, that's a, you know, I used to read Where the Sidewalk Ends to my kids when they were little. And uh, that's an autographed copy of Where the Sidewalk Ends that Shel Silverstein signed. So that's what, that's the actual signature page flapping back there. But um, I do, I need to figure a way to anchor that down better at any rate mother goose wants to know if we're concerned at all about the potential hit on revenue and i think he means bally sports right not diamond sports if bally sports declares bankruptcy this is actually great and i actually wanted to do a show about this next week and we'll probably circle back to it just so that you know the point doesn't get lost uh in the length of this episode but uh yeah and I saw a great point online that that could be a big factor in why payroll was slashed so drastically because the uh, regional sports network revenue is about $60 million short of where it was initially projected. And if you look at how much payroll the Reds cut heading into this season, it's about the same amount. I, I also think that tying this back into the question from Mike Sanger, I, I think this is the first step. This is not a significant step, but this is the first step to a salary cap because there is a vast inequity between television revenues of say the Dodgers and the Reds. The Dodgers make like five times, even if Bally wasn't bankrupt, make like five times on their TV deal based on what the Reds make. So I think, and major league baseball hired and I, I I'm blanking on the guy's name, but they hired a guy and his title is director of regional sports networks. I think we're moving toward at least the blackouts ending and if not a a major league baseball controlled television like system that that almost sounds like a well, much much more like the in the nhl model and the nfl yeah. model that they have total control over everything which is why yes. they're on all the streamers so you know i think it'll be good for baseball and exposure for people getting to watch baseball and you know people in iowa not being blacked out for like seven teams and here in right. hawaii every team between seattle and san diego is blacked out in hawaii and it just makes no darn sense you know right. it just none at all so I, I hope that that's the case i really do uh you know the other piece of it is and i'm not going to bore you guys with a lot of economics talk but uh, just very quickly it finally gives Major League Baseball a narrative that reinforces what they've been trying to sell us for years. They've been trying to cry poor for years, and then the report comes out. Major League Baseball sees a record $10.8 billion revenue. But now the headline, Major League Baseball and bankruptcy, is something that's going to be out there and in the in But the, also, to be fair, Bally, view. I mean, Bally does broadcast NBA and NHL games as well. Mm -hmm. So it's not just Major League Baseball. Well, yeah, but they're not going to talk about that. They're going to talk about, look, see, bankrupt. <laughs> bankruptcy we're poor we right. need a salary cap bankruptcy poor help me buy some cabbage if you're bob castellini <laughs> greg hughes uh talking about tony perez tony perez one of the best clutch hitters ever okay 
Um, kind of hard. To, I mean, we can look at like how he does with runners in scoring position, but he played on a team where there were always runners in scoring position. If you're, if every time you bat, there's a guy on base, you're going to kind of be a leader in hitting with runners in scoring position. I don't know. Listen, I guess at the end of the day, I've seen almost every member of the big red machine give an interview where they have said Tony Perez was the heart of the lineup and, and the, the clutch guy. And they've said all these things. So, you know, who am I to dispute it? If Pete Rose and Joe Morgan and Johnny bench all say that Tony Perez is the guy, Tony Perez is the guy. Yeah. And I think it's a double-edged sword a little bit because clutch hitting is one of those things that's easy to dispute because, well, there are certain guys that are at the plate whenever there's, there's runners on base, but they also have to be good enough to be put into that position. Like Sparky's not just going to put Tony Perez in that spot to bring in the runs just willy nilly. Like he earned it here in that spot. So there's a little bit of clutch hitting that I, I understand the argument. I don't, I don't go, go too crazy with clutch hitting because here's a fun stat for you. Aaron judge. He's good at hitting home runs, right? We know, we know that last it's year, a few. Last year, he hit a walk-off home run. That was his first walk-off home run. We're going to say that Aaron Judge isn't clutch? You heard it here first. Jeff loves Phil, and Aaron Judge is not clutch. This is what we're <laughs> learning today. You are very hot takey today. I don't know what's I'm just going saying, on. When you, look at the clutch, when you look at clutch hitting, like there's so many ways to look at what clutch hitting is, and a lot of what we say is who's getting those hits in the ninth inning to take the lead at the last second. Aaron Judge isn't one of those guys, but that doesn't mean he ain't a good hitter because he's a great hitter. Debbie Brown. Hey, Debbie. She checks in and says she loved the way Joe Morgan would flap his elbow before he swings the bat. And I saw an interview and I wish I could remember it completely, but you know, he, he did that as a way to remind himself to kind of stay back and slow down. I think if I remember the way that he talked about the interview, uh, the interesting side effect, Debbie, is that there is a whole generation of little leaguers that batted that way. Uh, yep. Anybody that was playing little league ball, like maybe basically high school and below at the time that Joe Morgan was hitting in 1975 and 1976 also had a bat flap. I always, I always remember those machinations that different hitters had, especially when I was growing up playing little league. Cause I would do like with Sean Casey, like readjusting your gloves 27 times before a pitch or, or no more Garcia par the way he did that or different, you know, waving the bat like Gary Sheffield or something like that. And I just did it because I saw them doing it. I didn't know there was a reason that they did it. And then you learn, well, they literally work that into the routine because otherwise they'd be way off. And it was just their way of getting back on time. And it was like, wow, okay, I get it now because your coaches would always tell you, stop doing that crap. You don't know why you're doing it. And I'm like, yeah, I do. You know, Gary Sheffield did it and he's really good. So I'm going to do it too. It's like, no. That's not it at all. I'll take you a little farther back than Jeff was talking. When I was a kid, I remember a lot of guys trying to bat like Julio Franco with the bat oh, all yeah. the way up, pointing with the head yeah. of the bat, pointing back at the pitcher. I don't know how anybody hit the ball like that. But uh, speaking of Julio Franco, did you see him on Twitter about a week ago mm -hmm. uh, taking reps in the batting cage, just just mashing at age 50 something? I'm like, of course he was. I was still, built the by the way, still batting with the head of the bat pointed <laughs> at the pitching machine. Uh, I remember not trying that. And I was like, it was that great. Just, it just seems like extra work to get set up and get ready and get locked and loaded. And you're just like, yeah, I didn't need help batting worse. I, I'll, I know that. <laughs> Greg Hughes makes a point. Uh, 
Rose played hard every game the Rose way. Pete Rose's successes come in multiple, from multiple directions. Obviously, statistically, Pete Rose had a lot of success. He was around a long time and he hit the ball at the major league level, the highest level for a long time and managed to get 4,256 big league hits. Never going to be broken. That record will never be broken. Uh, But there's something to be said for this comment. Uh, Pete Rose played hard every game. This is Greg Hughes again. uh, The Rose way. I think that combined with the fact that he was a Cincinnati kid in Cincinnati playing blue collar style, you know, basically you could fully envision him cracking a beer at third base in between belly flops, you know, that style that, that, you know, that Charlie hustle moniker that he carried. Um, I think all of those things, formed the perfect storm to make Pete Rose one of the most popular players of that generation. Because let me, let's face it, dude was never marketable. Even before all the off field stuff, he was not really like, this is not the guy you're going out to hire to be your spokesman on a lot of things. You know, he's not Hollywood pretty. He's not, you know, that guy, but still the town loved him. Yeah. And and I always think that it's important to know, like there was something he did to stay in shape there there's no way that like he like got off the got off the field and just you know started popping beer beers curls. Hot beer dogs. curls yeah, man I mean, it's the 24 fitness, packs are heavy nobody ever talks Jeff. about that nobody ever talks about it. They, they never talk about what he did to stay in shape and, and i i just think that that is something that should be shouted out too because you don't just be durable you can't just be indestructible no none of us are superman out here like you got to do something to be that durable and do what he did because you look at different players across sports like Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade got hurt a lot. He played super hard, and, I mean, he run full on into the padding and stuff like that to save a ball out of bounds, but he still got hurt. Everybody gets hurt, and just the way that he was able to avoid any sort of just career-altering injury throughout all of those amazing seasons that he put together is just phenomenal. A lot of those guys, I mean, that's why I, I read all of those ages and links of careers. It, that, that whole generation, maybe guys mm-hmm. were just tougher back then. I don't know. Here, 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 I'm going to piss everybody off now, Jeff. Was everybody just tougher back then? Is that <laughs> what it was? Where, like, what was going on? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Mark McWhorter. Hey, Mark. Uh, <laughs> this is a good question, Jeff. Who will be the 2023 Cincinnati Reds team MVP? I think it's going to be Jonathan India because I'm really rolling with this fact that he played hurt for most of the year last year. I'm really rolling with the fact that, you know, especially at the end of the season, just all of those injuries had compounded to the point that he was not kind of talking about the whole durability thing. He was just not able to be at a hundred percent at any day of the week past like, you know, the end of July, maybe even before, you know, before the field of dreams game, when he had that compartment syndrome thing. So I think that overall, he's going to be much more healthy this year. He's going to come into camp fully in shape, fully ready to go and just absolutely killing it. I, I think that J- Jonathan, Indy is going to be this team MVP. I'm taking Tyler Stevenson. He's going to catch over a hundred games. He's going to play in 140 or 150 games. He's going to hit 40 home runs and he's going to be in the conversation for baseball's MVP 
not just the Cincinnati Reds MVP. There is your hot take of the day. I like it. Jeffrey Morgan. Do we think that the Reds would trade Joey Votto away? Do we think that he could be a Blue Jay? Um, Joey has to want to be a Blue Jay. And, and at every turn, Joey has said he wants to be in Cincinnati. He doesn't want to go someplace else and win. He wants to win here. He wants to play his whole career in Cincinnati. And um, I think he means that because I just I can't imagine at this point that somebody hasn't at least back-channeled the idea to him about a trade and he shut it down. I, I just yeah. I, I just can't imagine at this point. This ownership group, the way they're trying to save money, uh, as hot as Joey was in 2017, uh, someone had to have floated that idea when Joey, Joey was so hot back then. Uh, I, I just I can't imagine it happening. I think, and, and really one of two things is going to happen because he's not going to retire. He's he's said that last year he said like he's he's gonna play you know at least a couple more years and i think one of two things is gonna happen they're gonna announce close to the end of the season or, or maybe after the season that they've uh, reached some sort of agreement that he stays in cincinnati for another couple of years with some deferred salary and something like that or they let him walk because there is no realm of reality where they just don't let there's people not picketing in front of great American ballpark. If we see a headline that says Joey Votto was traded for a bag of peanuts, because let's be honest, that's probably what they get at this point. We're not talking about a franchise altering prospect or, or even a guy that's ready for the major leagues at this point. You're, you're talking about another deal. Like we talked about with uh, Tucker Barnhart, like they'll get another Nick Quintana. And it's like, no, like, I, I get it. The whole idea would be to send him to somebody where he can compete with. But I think at this point, he has forced the Reds' hand to say, you're either going to keep me after my contract is done or I'm going to become a free agent and go somewhere else. I am not getting traded. You are not. I am not being a headline of Joey Votto gets traded for absolutely no mm -hmm. I agree. Mr. Juan has a, a two-parter here, Jeff, and we're going to circle back into the salary cap era here. Uh, Mr. Juan says, why do we need a salary cap? Let stupid owners make stupid decisions and learn from them. He goes on to say, the Indians and Rays prove all the time that you don't need a high payroll to be competitive in this league. Well, slow your roll there, Mr. Juan. Let's see what the New York Mets do this year. If the New York Mets go out and win 115, 120 games with what is amounts to an all-star team, uh, it's going to send a clear message. And that is that Steve Cohen's not messing around. He's going to spend $500 million a year, whatever it takes. Remember the Mets luxury tax, just the luxury tax is more than the Reds payroll. If the Mets go out there and just crush the world, and there is a strong possibility that they're going to go out there and crush the world, it sends a clear signal that no matter how much roster building you do via trade, following what the Reds are trying to do, what Tampa's been doing, what Cleveland's been doing, you can't beat that team. You can't beat a team that's going to field nine all-stars at every, you know, a, basically every position player is a potential all-star a starting rotation that has three or four of the five guys that are considered all-star level arms, a bullpen that once you get into the bullpen is just as good as the starting pitchers. You, I mean, eventually it becomes to a point that you just can't keep up with that. The Dodgers are trying to do it. The Mets are trying to do it. The Yankees have uh, 
tinkered on the brink of it. You know, it'd be interesting how if George Steinbrenner was alive, how he would respond to Steve Cohen. I think we'd see the biggest baseball bidding war uh, ever between the Mets and the Yankees as far as money goes, if if that were the case. Uh, the Reds, the, the Major League Baseball needs a salary cap. Uh, there's, there's, uh, it's at a tipping point right now. And I think that Cohen and maybe this is Cohen's strategy, go all in, win a couple world series, force the game to be changed a little bit and, you know, be a guy that goes down in history as the guy that, you know, maybe ultimately saves baseball from itself. I think so. And, and I think that the important thing to remember, and I'm curious to see how this plays out because the Reds play the Mets the second week of May. And I think by that time, Ellie De La Cruz is up here, but there is a scenario that could happen where you see a Jose Barrero, who's still trying to prove things face Justin Verlander. And I think that that matchup alone, the fact that you have that just gap in talent at what they do. Justin Verlander at the top of his game for so long, Jose Barrero, just trying to figure it out, trying to stick on in the major leagues. And you've got those two guys facing each other is the essence of everyone's issues with baseball. There are people that talk about, Oh, the game takes too long. Oh, the game's too slow. None of those are the problem. The problem is not having a salary. Cap. And, and the, the reason why major league baseball has fallen in popularity, why it's the NFL and the NBA so far ahead of them and why the NHL is catching up to them. And who knows, it might be neck and neck at this point is because they have just such a huge gap between what a good team is and what a bad team is. There's not a scenario in the NFL. Like I know that the Texans were bad last year, but I don't think anybody accused them of being a college team or being a being a minor league. Team. No, they were in a lot of games. Yeah, but that happens all the time in baseball. You can say this, and, and so many people say this is a quadruple A team. This is a triple A team, but they're playing at the major league level because they're allowed to not pay their players. They're allowed to not have a a a a team payroll that even competes with the top of the league. And I think that that needs to change. And it's not simply rewarding the teams that don't spend and choose to be bad. It is forcing them to compete a little bit, because imagine if you had to tell the Castellinis that let's say a salary floor was like, I don't know, 110 million or something this year, the reds payroll right now, not including deferred salaries is like at 50 million. It, it, it is it is a ridiculous difference, and I think that it is absolutely the key problem with Major League Baseball at this time, and it's going to take a lot to address it, but they absolutely cannot turn a blind eye to it. That was a rapid fire. A few of these. Johnny checks in just to say, great show, fellas. Well, Johnny, great listening. We're glad you're here. Appreciate we appreciate it. you watching. Debbie Brown corrects me, says they're blacked out on four teams. That's four Oof. too many in Iowa. Uh, it just, it just bonkers. Twins, Brewers, just, Cubs, White Sox. Probably. I think it's got to be more than that, right? Because the Cardinals got to be blacked out there. I would think so. Maybe it's, the maybe the Royals. Debbie, are you sure it's four? Double check. The check on that. I, I know it's a lot. Either way, it's probably a lot. depends at what point in Iowa. Like the only thing I can think of in Iowa is Des Moines. Mark McWhorter was asking uh, about Bally's offering a, a, a tier for no blackouts. And, you know, that's the blackouts thing is because 
it's regionalized. It's all separate. It's all regional. It's all these different small owned team owned things right. uh, to get rid of the blackouts. It has to be centralized. And that's where baseball is heading. That's where major league baseball is going. And what I think what's going to happen if they put all of the regional sports network into bankruptcy, then I think major league baseball probably buys the rest of the shares. They don't own. There's a at pennies a on the dollar out of bankruptcy. And then they own it all. I, I, I just something, something like that. There's a Major couple baseball though, has to centralize it. Like I, I find a hard, I find it hard to believe. Cause like you, you have, I think it's the giants that are NBC sports Bay area. I, I find it hard to believe NBC sports regional stuff ever goes bankrupt. I don't think, uh, I think root is Seattle root sports. I don't think they ever go. Yeah, I think they're root. And then of course you have the, the, the Red Sox and the Yankees that own their own thing. So that's never going to go bankrupt too. You're going to have to create a world where they're okay with everything being centralized. And I think we're moving toward that direction, but um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all gets done, but it's going to happen. All right. David bias. David Baez says uh, he's hearing rumors of a trade. Jeff, what do you think here? Read this one for me. I'd take that. Um, it, it would depend. I don't know that I would trade any of our shortstops for him right now because I think that'd be an overpay. Uh, if you listen to our Locked On Mariners guys and if you read uh, Mariners coverage, they're sort of on the fence about Jared Kellenick. And in fact, the, the way that they talk about Jared Kellenick is the way that we talked about Nick Senzel about a year ago. Not the way that we're talking about Nick Senzel now, but the way that we talked to him about a year ago where I think Mariners are kind of on their uh, Mariners fans are kind of on their last legs with Jared Kellenick. So I think to put one of our shortstops in the deal, we would need more than just Jared Kellenick. I, I, I think that you probably look at maybe, I don't know, trading like Reese Hines or something for Jared Kellenick. That's that's probably where I'm at. And that might not be enough for Seattle to say yes, but I am not. There's not any of those shortstops. McLean, Arroyo, uh, definitely not Ale De La Cruz, definitely not Noel V. Marte. I don't know. Maybe you go down to like Jose Torres or something and offer him, but I, I, I just don't see it. Steve McCoy checks in with a, a, a fantasy statistic update. <laughs> Lodolo going 22 and 6, Ashcraft going 20 and 10, and Green going 19 and 11. First off, interesting. Who was the last ranking. 20 win Reds pitcher? I, who was the last Reds 20 was win? It, I, was Cueto healthy enough to do it? Uh, maybe. Did he I ever think win it might have been Cueto in 2015. Maybe. Yeah. I, I find it interesting the way that uh, Stephen McCoy has these pitchers ranked. Um, the the Lodolo, 20 win question is a good Green. question. I, I find mm -hmm. it hard to believe. Like, we would have to be a much better team to see a 22 win pitcher it is super hard to win 20 games especially in the landscape of pitching that is today where mm -hmm. most teams are really looking after the fifth inning to see if they can get into their bullpen and in some cases during the fifth inning and you still have that rule that a pitcher has to throw five innings to be the pitcher of record so i i just don't know i wonder that's that's a good question. Maybe we'll dive into that next week is who is the Reds next 21 pitcher? And we will consider all avenues as to how that could happen. 
Yeah. Uh, I think 20 wins, you know, much like some of the other statistics in baseball with, you know, guys stealing 60, 70 bases and like there's yeah. some stats are just going away. They're not going to come back. And I think uh, 20 win seasons are probably one of them. Uh, I just, the way the pitchers are pitched now, I just don't see how it's possible, at least not with any consistency. Hayden Mayer says he thinks the salary floor is more important to have than a salary cap. Well, it's certainly going to be uh, one of the requirements to get the players to agree to a salary cap. Yeah, I think that um, the salary floor is something that the owners aren't necessarily happy about, but they understand it accompanies the salary cap. The salary floor is super important. Sorry, I was just looking up. I, I was right. It's Johnny Cueto, but it's in 2014. 2014, Johnny Cueto won 20 games, so he would be the last guy but before then i mean you're definitely into the 90s and, mm-hmm. um i think maybe even into the 80s but still yeah uh, back to so the the salary floor question that that's the key i think especially for us like i i, I definitely believe that teams like the twins and the white Sox. um i'm thinking of like you know, those mid-range teams that they're never worried about spending too little, but they are worried about the teams that spend way more than them. Those are the ones that will be championing the salary cap. So I, I think that overall the the players are going to want the floor, and frankly, I think the fans do too. James Combs asks, do we think Davey Concepcion eventually makes the Hall of Fame? I don't I think- know. I think maybe that window has closed i think that's done i think if it was going to happen it would have happened already um i i just i just i think they would have done it already you've got those um i mean the the whole reason uh fred mcgriff made it in is because they have that new they have those new eras committees where they're just like mm-hmm. okay this era that era this era and they're voting on the players specifically when and, and it's not not the same baseball writers it's like made up of former players who played in that era so there's a chance but i don't necessarily think he, he i think he may just be out of consideration at this point yeah i think so too i i agree with that which sucks because i mean his career was fantastic will klein says if uh mclean ces steer or others were dodgers or yankees they'd be in the top 100 ah. yeah there, Hard there's to argue a, that logic. Yeah, the, the Dodgers had seven prospects in the top 100 for MLB Pipeline, and then I believe, well, this was positionally, but looking at the top 10 shortstops, they had um, Marcelo Mayer for the Red Sox, and they had Anthony Volpe for the Yankees ahead of Ellie De La Cruz, which any person that watches baseball knows Ellie De La Cruz has a much higher ceiling than both those guys. So it's it's a lot of it's a lot of pandering to the, those fan bases because they know that those fan bases are going to put that sort of thing on blast. Andy Kistler asks if we have any suggestions for Nick Qua- Nick Craw questions. Uh, I'm guessing this is a caravan deal, uh, and he's yeah, going to be going out on the caravan. Uh, I, I say, ask Nick uh, when he's going to do the Locked On Reds podcast. I feel like that's the question, Jeff. Yeah, I think so. I'm trying. That's the question I have for him, anyway. Because I feel like I feel like the other questions are kind of obvious, or he's already answered them. I think, and 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 he's not going to give names because as a 
a team employee, you're not going to give names, but what I would really want to know is the comment that he made back in December of the idea about trading for uh, a controllable outfield talent or prospects or something like that. Who's he have in mind? I, I don't necessarily know that he would go into great detail about that, but that's like the question on top of my mind because he said that and there's really been no rumblings, which we know the Reds are not a rumor team. We're not, we're not going to hear rumblings about a move before a move happens, but it's a very easy comment to say if there is no specific target. And I feel like Nick crawl's not a guy who says things just to say, things. I think that he had an idea in mind. Let's do a couple more here, Jeff, and then we'll get out of here for the day. But you know, let me ask you this with the caravan. Is it falling as flat? is I'm reading that it's falling flat or am I just reading it that way? Cause I want to be right about all the things I had to say last week. Like, <laughs> is it, is it really as flat as it seems? I mean, like social media wise, I mean, I'm seeing some things, but it not definitely not like Reds fest was, you know, yeah. the, the timeline was just blowing up with Reds fest stuff, both team produced and from the fans attending and going and being excited and all those things. I'm not really seeing a whole lot of that with the caravan. Well, no, and and I wouldn't say that it's falling fat, flat because of that. I, I, I think that there's an element of the caravan that is meant to be self-contained to the places that they go because they, they see those communities as – and it's weird that, you know, I mean, they go to Hamilton. It's not like Hamilton's that far from Cincinnati, but they go to these communities that are a little bit outside of Cincinnati and just trying to bring some sort of reds to them. And while they may have failed when it comes to present day, you know, star power, I know that the Reds don't have a lot of star power, but when you're talking about the top guys on the roster, none of them are on this trip. But I, I, I think that overall, not because it's been shared around a lot, does that mean that it's necessarily falling flat? Still seeing plenty of people going to the caravan. And I think that that's, it's encouraging and it should show ownership that this fan base is begging for any amount of caring about making the playoffs here soon. And, and I talked about it yesterday that, you know, the plan isn't necessarily to go all in in 2023 because they're working like a six-year plan, a five or six-year plan here, and they're not necessarily at the point of contention. But I think they're close enough that, you know, we can start to see some movement a little bit. So I, I just I want ownership to understand that this fan base is just so hungry for anything and they continue to leave the plate clean andy uh, followed up in the comments yeah he's going to the museum tomorrow at three and he nice. thinks uh there's just not enough players out on the caravan yeah i, I agree with that um and even former really guys a i lot mean into the q a's and, and the former players when, when they when they advertise and 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 you know i don't mean this i'm not trying to disparage any one player but when the guys that they advertised were, were Jose Barrero and Alejo Lopez, two guys that you're not even sure how much playing time they're going to get this year. Yeah. yeah. And I'm taking credit for Chris Sabo being added to the. Oh no, yeah. I just, it. I don't know. I don't know a hundred percent for sure that that's true, but I'm taking the credit. I'm just going to say that was me and roll with it. If everybody's all right with that, because oh, yeah. he was added right after I did that whole rant last week. So I'll, I'm, I'm going to take it. Um, Greg says, you know, you got to win if you want fans to drive four or five hours. And there, there's, that's true. I mean, 
but is it true? I mean, I think if the names were bigger, even on a bad team, the people that are going to the caravans usually, you know, in January, it's it's not the casual. Oh, I'm gonna take in a, a Reds event kind of thing. It's usually the the diehard guys. It's the hardcore, and yeah, that number would be up if they were, you know, coming off of a playoff run or or whatnot. But even for as bad as they are there's a lot of uh excitement missing i think yeah all right jeff i think that's it for the day what do you think i like it i think we've i think we hit a good point i appreciate everybody for participating for jumping into the comments section thanks for watching us here on this live aloha edition of the locked on reds podcast steve we got a lot for folks coming up next week only a couple more weeks of uh you know that truncated schedule week of february 13th we're going to be back to five days a week because pitchers and catchers will be reporting then cannot wait baseball is coming uh that's going to do it for this edition of locked on reds uh thanks for making us your first listen as always i don't have the rundown in front of me i don't know who we're promoting this time jeff but i can tell you this uh we're going to continue to be monitoring the transaction wires we're going to keep looking for rumors uh i think nick crawl is going to be scouring uh what teams are doing even though he says they're done they're not done the roster is set it's not really set. There's some stuff coming. It's just not going to be splashy. And Jeff and I are going to keep you locked on that and locked on reds. Every single day. But also, I was just thinking promotional-wise, next week, Locked On Fantasy Baseball returns. That's right. For everybody that's a fantasy baseball fan, a fantasy baseball enthusiast, Locked On returns. It's Locked On Fantasy Baseball. You're going to love it. Uh, Matt and Dom are awesome got a lot of great uh insight they've got their own website with rankings and all that other stuff they're going to help you win your league so you're not going to want to miss locked on fantasy baseball starting up next monday thanks everybody